All right. Hey, have you ever done the, the fire test? Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the test where you, uh, you know, someone says, look, your house is on fire. Everyone's going to be safe, but you can only grab three things on your way out. What do you grab? Right? Do you grab some photos, some old photos off the wall or, or something? Do you grab those important documents that you forgot to put into the safe? Uh, do you grab that, uh, you know, stuffed animal that your high school sweetheart won for you at the, at the carnival? Uh, what do you grab? Uh, do this. Turn to the person next to you and tell them one of those things that you think you would probably grab on your way out. Go ahead. You got 10 seconds. What would you grab? Now, some of you seemed a little perplexed. Some of you seem a little confused. It's an interesting, it's, it's not a perfect test, right? But it, but it is interesting because we start to realize there are things that we treasure and there are things we don't. There are things we could live without. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been overtaken by the new uh, revolution in tidying up with Marie Kondo, right? Uh, so she's teaching us how to, how to tidy up these spaces. And, and of course, the secret sauce is what? You're supposed to hold something and discover, does it spark joy in you? Ting! And if it does, you keep it. If it doesn't, you get rid of it, but it's kind of this uh, interesting thing. But once again, it's just one of those things. There are some things we treasure in life, and there are some things we don't treasure. And and, and this is an important thing, I think, for us to to see, because discovering what you treasure is significant. Uh, When you discover what you treasure, you start to get under the surface of what drives you, your decisions, your plans, your uh, your future, you, you start to see things. Now, uh, when we discover the things that we treasure, we can discover that it could be a productive thing or it could be a destructive thing. If you treasure uh, power and influence, you may use people uh, uh, for your own, own needs. Uh, if you... Um, if, if you treasure, uh, you know, the applause of people, you will play to them. You will, you will feel insecure around them. But, but Jesus knew something. He knew that if you treasure God, that you could change the world. And so Jesus was challenging uh, uh, folks about this. In fact, there's uh, one encounter that we're going to see today where a young man comes to him and it's obvious to Jesus that he is treasuring the wrong thing. And the man feels it and Jesus sees it. And as a a result, Jesus does what he will do in our lives as well. He lovingly confronts him about the things that he is treasuring and what he needs to treasure instead. And this is the way Jesus is because Jesus knows that really there is only one treasure that will give you eternal life. So here's our big idea today. Our big idea is that life with Jesus means making him your treasure Life with Jesus means making him your treasure. And and we're in this series called Life with Jesus. We're walking with him, seeing the things that are important to him. And if they're important to him, they got to be important to us. We're going through the the book of Mark. 
And and this is something that we're going to see, that Jesus wants us to trust him. That ultimately what this is about is it's about trust. It's about uh, 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 not having any limitations, any boundaries, borders on our trust with him. And he's constantly inviting us to trust him without any kind of limitations. And you need to discover if there's anything that you hold on to that is getting your devotion, that's getting your worship, that is your treasure other than him. And if it is, as he would with his followers, as he would with the the crowds, he will challenge us. He will challenge us uh, to, to make the right thing our treasure. So let's turn to Mark chapter 10. This is week 10. We're in Mark chapter 10. And hopefully you've been reading along uh, uh, with the reading plan. You'll notice it, uh, the reading plan for this week in your bulletin. And we're reading through each chapter. We're looking at one of the stories each week and try to get an idea of, of something that's going on. And in chapter 10, uh, two things stand out as we get to this story. Uh, for the second time, Jesus has prepared his disciples that he is going to die. He has let them know that he is on his way to give his life. He is going to do his part to make the kingdom of God possible for us. He will do his part, but we will have to do our part. We will have to do our part, and our part is we will have to trust him. We will have to have faith. In fact, what he says, in fact, you look at the verses right before this, he says this, you're going to have to have faith like a child. He says, really, unless you become like a child, you will never, never, when you look at the Greek there, it's, it's, it's actually not just You'll never, you'll never, never enter into the kingdom of God. Our faith in him. He's going to do the hard work. But on our part, it requires faith and trust in what it is. So life with Jesus uh, uh, means making him our, our treasure. And so let's figure out how faith, trust, and surrender, as Ken said, this becomes the very heart of this passage. The passage begins this way. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I want to remind you of something as we look at this first part that uh, what we shared earlier in this story is that Mark, who's writing this, if we go back into the church fathers, we see the early church leaders, they say uh, Mark's source was Peter, the apostle, Peter the disciple, that Peter was the eyewitness sharing these things to to John Mark, and Mark wrote these things down. So I want you to try to re- Relive this first part of the passage, not as a reader, but I want you to see it in your mind. I want you to try to listen to it as Peter telling these very words to Mark. Because the first thing we see this morning is this, is that this first point that I want you to write down is that Jesus lovingly confronts us when he needs to. He lovingly confronts us when he needs to. And so one of the things that's fascinating, if you notice in this this first part of the passage, is Peter gives incredible detail to this encounter. 
I don't know if you caught it, but imagine Peter sharing this encounter to Mark. He says, Mark, there was this one time and Jesus is making his way with the crowds. And this, this young man kind of starts wedging his way through everyone. And he gets to the front. And, and you can see he's well off. He's, he's got money. He's, he's got power. He's got influence. But he just kind of makes his way in front of Jesus. And he falls at his feet. And you can tell he is just at his wit's end. And he just looks at Jesus and says, he says, good teacher, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And you could tell something is burdening this young man's heart. And Jesus, he, it was different. You could tell Jesus knew that this was not like one of the religious teachers trying to test him. I mean, this is a young man who was really at a crisis point. And Jesus wanted to make sure he understood what was going on. And so Mark, what he said, he goes, he reminded him, he says, you know, there's no one good except God alone, right? And the mad naughty said, you know, I know. So, so what, tell me, what do I need to do? And Jesus began to, to walk him through the commandments. But what was so interesting is Jesus talked about really commandments that were about loving one another. You know, don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't murder and uh, love your mother and father. He even said, Reminded him of the commandment not to take advantage of people, to make his money. And the man's nodding. He's like, you can see his eyes are closed. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm doing all those things. But something's missing. And he says, Mark, it, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. He, Jesus just, he looked at the man and he reached out and he put his hand on his shoulder. And this expression on his face, I've seen it many times, but he just looked at this man. And he wasn't just looking at him. He was looking through him. He was looking right into his heart. And he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. Like I thought he was just going to embrace him right there. And he said, look, you got one thing that's messing you up and here's what you need. It was like a surgeon just kind of with precision. He says, and he never said this to anyone before and he never said it to anyone after, but he said it to this guy. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, give everything you have, all your wealth to the poor and then come with us. Follow me and I will give you treasure in heaven. And it was like, you know when it's a sunny day and all of a sudden the clouds just kind of come in and kind of block it all? And it's just the sun is gone and it just becomes this gloomy day. That's like what went over this man's face. I, I've never seen him, uh, an expression of a, of a young man who just became so discouraged, so distraught in that moment. And he got up, and he just made his way past everyone, and he left. And I never heard from him again. We never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him. It's quite interesting, isn't it, when you look at it? 
there is incredible detail that Mark, or that Mark gives us as a result of Peter. He, he, he's trying to help us feel the story, not just hear the story. Because there's incredible emotion in this. And notice what's happening in this. He's talking about the way that Jesus looked at this man. He cared so much about him that he, he went right at the heart of what it was. And Jesus sees something in the life of this man that is causing all this trouble. He has a treasure. He has the wrong treasure. He has an idol in his life, something else that he's worshiping that he's giving him, himself over to. Something else in his life has become an idol. Now, I, 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 I like this one description of what an idol is. Uh, one man says it this way. He says, an idol is often any good thing that's become an ultimate thing. A good thing that's become an ultimate thing. Anything that we worship other than God has become an idol. Anything we treasure other than God has become an idol. It's become an object of our devotion, an object of our worship. Uh, It has become too important to us. And idols do something, don't they? They always overpromise and they underdeliver. And the perfect example is this, this man. He's got everything that we would go after. He's got power and influence. He's got wealth and beauty. He's got all these things that we think would make the perfect life. And he's falling at his knees. And he's saying, something is missing in my life. These things haven't provided for me the way I thought they would. What's missing in my life? And Jesus points it out. You have the wrong thing on the throne of your heart. And he challenged him. And often we don't realize how tight a grip we have on an idol, or really how tight a grip the idol has on us, until Jesus asks us to give it up, to give it over. And then we say, whoa, 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 you're getting a little personal here. But notice what Jesus doesn't tell this man. He doesn't say, this isn't an issue just about money, because he could have said, look, Give 10% of what you have and give it to the poor. The man was already doing that, right? We, we know that he's an obedient Jew. He's, he's keeping the commandments. He was already being generous. He was already doing these things. He doesn't say, put all your money in a trust fund. Live on the principle. Give away all the interest. Because the man would have done that, wouldn't he? No, Jesus realized the issue is much deeper. It's about what he is devoted to. What the man is, has on the throne of his heart. And so Jesus goes right for it. And he calls him to this. And Jesus does not call and did not call any of his disciples to liquidate their possessions, but he did to this man. Why? Because he knew this was the man's God. This is what he worshiped. And so we have to ask the question what is it that we treasure? What has your heart, what has your devotion, what sits on the throne of your heart? And, and, and what we realize ultimately, what idols are not necessarily bad things. Money is not intrinsically a bad thing. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, it has become an idol. What good thing in your life maybe has become an ultimate thing? What is it that you treasure? If Jesus were to come to you and place his hand on you and look at you in the eye, not out of condemnation, but he looked at you and loved you. 
and you knew it, and you could feel it. And he said, look, let this go. Stop worrying about this. Come with me. Trust me. And I will give you everything else you need. How would you respond? Because what we see is you can either fall down and be humbled and and surrender before him, or you are going to leave discouraged and dismayed. But there really is no in-between, is there? See, Jesus doesn't want to be a spice in your life. He doesn't want to just be a little, add a little of Jesus here or add a little Jesus there. He doesn't want to just be like a, a little shade, a little hue that adds a little more color. He doesn't want to be the little accent to your life that gives you just that little spiritual uh, 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 you know, tone to your, to your existence. He has no interest in this. Think about it this way. Uh, uh, what do you think the disciples felt about this? They were thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? We could use a guy like this. His money, his influence, you know, you're trying to start a movement, right? We need guys like this. But Jesus is like a good car salesman, right? Do you know this? My, my uh, wife's dad owned a car dealership, and he explained to us, here's the secret. The moment they let you leave the car lot, there's no more room to bargain. So if you walk away and they come chasing for you, there's still some wiggle room there. But does Jesus go chasing after him? He doesn't, right? There is no wiggle room. It is complete devotion. It is complete allegiance. Follow me, he says. Follow me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. I will take care. Notice what he's saying. I will take care of you. You will have treasure. But you have to trust me. You have to come with me. And Jesus sees that in this man. See, life with Jesus means making him your treasure. But, but notice how significant this moment is. This is there's a, there's a, a, a huge teaching moment in this for Jesus with the disciples. Uh, he says this, uh, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus shares with them, you know, how difficult it is for those who trust in money to trust in God. And they're like, wait, 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 that doesn't add up. Because everything they had learned is if you were, if you had wealth, you were, you had done good things. And if you were poor, you probably did something wrong. Good things, good wealth, it went to good people. Kind of almost like how we think of karma. Like there was just kind of that cultural thought. That's why Job's friends have so much trouble with his suffering. Job, you must have done something wrong. And so they're having a hard time understanding this. And notice Jesus is pushing this. But notice the warning. Jesus warns us about the trap of wealth, doesn't he? Jesus warns us about the trap of wealth. He doesn't just warn them once. He warns them multiple times in this passage. You must be careful. 
And notice what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, be careful about money because you can make some bad decisions in life. It's actually very sobering what he says. Don't miss it. People who trust in money often won't trust in God and they will miss out on inheriting the kingdom of God. This is not a small thing. This is a huge thing. And this is not just a modern problem. We could say, wow, this is such an Orange County thing. But notice, this is an ancient problem. This is a forever problem. We are all trapped by this. This principle is timeless. But here's what we know. We know that salvation brings transformation when it comes to the generosity of our hearts. We see this in in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, we're going to eat at your house today. And Jesus shares about the kingdom. Zacchaeus repents. He turns to him in faith. He stands up before everyone and says, half of all I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And anyone I've defrauded, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus' response is, salvation has come to this home. Right? Changed hearts live, are expressed in changed lives. The same thing happens when John had his baptism. When John the Baptist was baptizing, he says, look, don't just be sad and sorrowful in your repentance. Live changed lives. Care for the poor. Care for the needy. Do the things that show the fruit of repentance that your heart has changed. This is supposed to be who we are. And notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, be very, very careful. Uh, Notice the expression he gives. Verse 25, he says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people have tried to kind of explain that away. They said, oh, there was a gate in the temple wall. It was called the eye of the needle. And a camel, if it took off its burden, if it took off its load, and it got down on its knees, it could find its way through. Or other people say, well, in Aramaic, the word camel and the word yarn are very close. Probably what Jesus was saying was it's, it's like trying to get yarn, something real thick, in through an eye of a needle. If you just, you know, right, and twist it, you can, you can get it in, but you got to work at it. But notice the response of the disciples and notice the response of Jesus. They are like, wait, 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 who then is going to get in? How is this going to work? And Jesus is saying, look, what is impossible can be possible with God. See, the truth is, the camel was the biggest thing they knew of. The eye of the needle was the smallest thing they knew of. Jesus was trying to give them an impossible thing that could happen. But he said, with God, with God, this could happen. This is a very important thing for Jesus. And he warned us many times. Many of his parables, many of his teachings were about these kinds of things. And Jesus often warned, in his most famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This was important. He knew how easy it was for us to be lovers of money, to let money rule our lives. Now, I want to I hope you will still respect me after this, but I want to make a confession to you. I love money. I really do. I, I, I love it. Uh, I love spending it. I feel powerful when I spend it. I love, I love saving it. I feel security. I feel safety. I love making it. I love working hard and getting a paycheck and seeing the reward of hard work. 
I, I, I love it. And to be honest, I am the rich young ruler, minus the dead sexy part. <laughs> I, I get everything that he feels. And if I am not careful, I will worship money. I know that of my heart. I know that inside of me. When I was a kid, my, my, uh, my dream was to be Maxwell Smart. I wanted to be, you guys know, remember Get Smart? I wanted to be Maxwell Smart. I wanted to have a convertible. I wanted to have a bachelor pad. I wanted to have cool clothes. That's, that was my dream as a kid. I wanted to be Maxwell Smart and have a shoe phone. <laughs> so I know this. I know what will happen to me if I am not careful. And so here's the problem. I know money will, will become the treasure of my life and I will work to make it. But... 35 years ago, we made a decision. I made a decision to make Jesus the treasure of my life. And because I made Jesus the treasure of my life, here's what I know. I know that I have to discipline my heart so that this will not become the treasure of my life. I know the temptation. I know that this is what will, will tempt me. And so here's what our family does to guard our hearts to guard our minds, to, to, to make sure that we keep Jesus the treasure of our lives. We practice something called tithing. Now, some of you grew up in a church and you understand this, some of you don't, but the tithe was uh, 10% that was given to God. And in the Old Testament, we see uh, at the beginning that uh, people like Abraham and Jacob, they just gave a free offering to God, a, a tenth of all they had. It was just something no one required them. It just was the joy of their heart to give this offering, and they gave a tenth of what they did. But when the Mosaic Law came in, when the law came for God's people, uh, tithes were built into the law. And, and the point of the law, everything, every commandment was designed to help you, the people of God learn to, to trust, to love God and to love others. So everything God did was, was to do this in this way. And so the people did this. They brought in, like what we just did, they did an offering. They brought the first tenth into the house of God. And they gave it for the work of ministry. And then there were other tithes that they gave and other offerings that they gave. And as they did those, those different things, uh, uh, that's how they did it. And so uh, we began to do this when we were very young in our married life. And for our family, this is our, our starting point. See, because I think one of the things that you see in the New Testament is uh, with the church, they became generous. And so one of the things that you see in the New Testament is this word generosity, be generous. And so you don't see them just kind of saying 10% is mine or 10% is God and the rest is God's. They see, hey, God, everything is yours. Everything I have is yours. And you see them selling land and you see them giving to make sure that no one is ever in need. And so for us, uh, in our family, 10% is the starting point, not the ending point. Uh, and there's three reasons why we do this. The first is this. It's an investment in worship. It's an investment in worship. It is a reminder to our family that God gave it to us in the first place. It all belongs to him anyway. That he blessed me with a job. That he blessed us with opportunities. That he, and so we give uh, as an act of worship. We don't do it so that, uh, let me say it this way. I don't do it because I'm afraid that the board's going to find out that I don't do it and fire me. I do it. We do it because it's worship of God. Second, we do it as an investment in our souls. I've I've unfortunately revealed my cold, dark heart. I pray that you'll still keep me as your pastor, but I know this can get away from me. 
But I also know this. I want my family to understand that, that we can do more. Uh, 90% plus God is greater than 100% of the Stafiris. We are not that capable of, of doing it on our own. But what we are learning as a family is trust God. We'll live on 90%. We, we, will, we will give the first 10% to God. And, and, and we will trust that God will take care of us. Let me put it this way. Uh, when, when my family uh, experiences, like we've had friends take us on these awesome vacations and they pay for it. We go on free, awesome vacations. I help them see that is 90% plus God. That is God blessing us. That is God taking care of us because we can't afford to go to places like this. And we are learning. It's an investment in our souls. See, Jesus knows that you can only enthrone either him, the one true God, on your heart or something else. And money and possessions, that has to be dethroned from our hearts. I love, uh, Tim Keller says this way, he says, how do you know that money isn't just money? He says to you, he says, here are the signs. You can't give large amounts of it away. You get scared if you might have less than you're accustomed to having. You see people who are doing better than you, even though you might have worked harder, might be a better person, and it gets under your skin. And when that happens, you have one foot in the trap, Because then it's no longer just a tool, it's a scorecard, it's your essence, it's your identity. No matter how much money you have, though it's not intrinsically evil, it has incredible power to keep you from God. And so we want to hear this warning from Jesus to be careful. This is an important warning. But here's the third thing, it's an investment in the kingdom. Here's what I know. Every week we give an offering uh, we, get, we give a tenth of our, our income. Every week we give it to the church. And here's what I know. Every week we're changing the world. Our little family is changing the world. We are partnered with Tammy and Taylor and, and Heidi and Renaud and Mexico and all the things we're doing all over the world, Rose and Kenya. We are a part of that. We are part of their teams. Every week we are a part of investing in the vision that came 50 years ago in this church, that this is going to be a church that raises up the next generation. We're going to be a church like Psalm 78 that builds faith in the next generation. And we are invested in children and youth and young adults because we believe it's important. And and we are helping to make daring faith happen. And we walk on the campus and we see the development and say, hey, we get to be a part of this. And it's exciting for us. But let me speak to you, parents. Here's the best thing. So parents, hear me on this. Here's the best thing. It has been one of the best investments in our kids. Uh, Sitting with my oldest son uh, this weekend and listening to him talk about his future family and the way that generosity plays a role in his life. Uh, their, their church is doing Daring Hope right now. So they're on phase two. They're ahead of us. Okay, they did Daring Faith. They're now at Daring Hope. Okay, and he said to me, he said, uh, so I, I guess I made the, he said he had made the first uh, pledge of Daring Hope for their, their church. He's the youth pastor of their church. So I'm guessing he's probably one of the poorest guys in the church, in a church of Palos Verdes. And he made the first pledge of that. And I thought, man, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. Uh, you know, I, I think of our younger son, and he has raised thousands of dollars for the poor and the needy, the homeless, widows, orphans, building wells in Africa. 
And I look at that and it just melts my heart because I know when he's generous, he's at his absolute best. Or when my daughter who has uh, what little money she gets from us or from birthdays or whatever and says that she wants to use it for uh, camp scholarships to help her friends go to camp. I just think, man, this is winning. This is what it's about. Uh, God is, is helping us invest in his kingdom. And, and so I want to encourage you uh, in this. Now, some of you are thinking, man, that is a huge step. 10%, how in the world would I t- make that step? Here's, here's the biggest inspiration for me. I keep my eyes on the true, rich, young ruler, Jesus. See, Jesus had it all. He is the king of heaven. And he removes his throne, he gets his crown, he gets down from his throne, and he enters this world as a poor peasant. He says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And he gives his life, he gives his everything. God gives everything, his very best, his one and only son for us. That's what motivates me. Here's the most important verse that I keep on my heart when I think why I give. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus had everything and gave it away for us. He treasures me and he treasures you. Uh, last week, Justin challenged us. He said, you know, the 40 days leading up to Easter uh, is a time called Lent. And he said, what, what could you do during these 40 days? What could you do these 40 days that would help remind you to do life with Jesus? So Lent is a time where we, we give something up. We, we make sacrifices. We walk with Jesus in his sacrifice. We walk with him to the cross. So what sacrifice could you make? And I want to challenge you. Here's two things I want to challenge you to consider. Number one, give up riches. Give up riches. Between now and Easter, give up riches. If you don't tithe, join our family. Begin tithing. And here's why. Because God is willing to say this. You can test me in this. You can test and see if I won't take care of you. Here, listen to two passages uh, there was a season when God's people weren't doing this. And, and, and as, a re, as a recourse, the, the, the people of God were suffering. And so the prophet Malachi had to speak to them. And he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring it to the church. Uh, bring it to the, the house of God. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God's willing to say, just try me and see if I won't take care of you. Hundreds of years later, Paul would tell a young church like ours, a church in uh, in Corinth, he would say the same thing. He'd say, look, decide in your heart. Okay, don't do it because I I, don't feel manipulated by me. Don't feel coerced by me. He says, decide in your heart what you should give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. But notice what he says. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Both times, the idea is God says, I will give you more than enough, but you have to trust me. You have to trust me. 
If you don't want to do that, do this. Uh, figure out ways to be generous with the poor and the needy. I think you're going to find that it is incredibly uh, uh, joyful to care for the people that are in need. Uh, middle schoolers. I need three middle schoolers I can trust. One, two, three, okay? One of you guys want one? You can't trust you? Okay, Jada, sorry. Okay, put your hands up. Hands up. You, you have your hand up or no? Okay, you got it. Okay, so here you go. This, I want you, there's $20 for you. There's $20 for you, Troy. There's $20 for you. That's not for you to keep, okay? But you have between now and Easter, I want you to find someone who's in need, okay? You figure it out. You pray and you let God put it on your heart. You figure out someone who's in need and you help them out. Now, here's my guess. You're going to feel really good doing it. And guess what? It didn't even cost you anything. It cost me, okay? But I think what you'll learn is this. You know what? That felt right. That felt good. And what God's trying to teach you is, yeah, you know what? That's how I work. I like to take care of people who are in need. And that's what my story is all about. Okay? So I can trust you guys? Okay, you guys tell me what happens afterwards. All right. Listen how the passage ends. Put the rest away for later. Listen how the passage ends. Peter spoke up. He says, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I think Jesus' response to Peter is really awesome. It's really, it's so impressive. He says, look, there will be costs. There will be challenges. There will be persecutions. But I'm telling you, it will be worth it. I will blow your mind. I will so exceed. Notice he says, I'm going to give you a hundred times what you give up. See, Peter's saying, look, we, we've given up everything. We, we, we left our businesses, our security, everything. And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. I promise you, it will get difficult at times. But trust me, I will take care of you. Over and over and over and over again, I will take care of you. Do you see what God is saying? He's saying, if you have my son, you are rich. You are rich. If you treasure him, I will treasure you. And it's true, right? Because when we put our faith in him, he says he adopts us as his children. And as his children, we become his heirs. Not a bad thing, is it, to be heir of the one who holds all things in all of creation. He's the one who says, trust me. Follow me. Make my son the treasure of your life. And so let's pray. Let me give you a question as you pray. Will you today, will you make Jesus the treasure of your life? Let's, let's bow together. Let's pray. And let me just ask you, go back to that earlier question. Jesus is looking at you. His hand on your shoulder. 
and see it in his face. He loves you. He loves you. And he says, here's the one thing that's keeping you from me. I need you to let this go and trust me. Follow me. Come with me. Take a moment. Have that moment with him, and then we'll sing a final song.